Hi, welcome to the Whistleblower Newsroom. I'm Christina Borgeson. Something big, very big is happening. Last week, we interviewed two lawyers from Ohio, Tom Renz and Robert Gargas, who were suing the state of Ohio and charging in their complaint that lockdown for COVID-19 has been mass imprisonment without due process and that draconian measures taken to contain the fraudulent COVID pandemic has been massively destructive to Ohio's economy and caused unnecessary deaths. Today, I'll be talking to eminent German consumer protection lawyer, Dr. Reinar Thürmisch, who is one of a group of four lawyers called the German Corona Investigative Committee. Their goal? To file a massive international class action lawsuit for crimes against humanity perpetrated by those who engineered a fraudulent pandemic using fraudulent COVID-19 testing that wrought havoc on economies around the world and resulted in untold numbers of unnecessary deaths. They're calling this not a COVID pandemic, but a PCR testing pandemic. Thürmisch already has a reputation for going up against global corporate giants like Deutsche Bank, which he describes as one of the most toxic criminal organizations in the world, and against Volkswagen during their massive diesel fraud scandal that consisted of them putting special software in about 11 million cars worldwide that allowed the cars to emit 40 times more pollution than they should have and by turning on emissions controls only during laboratory emissions testing. That said, I'm pretty sure that this current effort by Dr. Filmisch is gonna be the case of his career. It could also become one of the most important cases of, I don't know, the last 25 years, maybe even the century. I don't know, but it's big. Welcome, Dr. Filmisch. Hello. I think what you're doing is kind of huge. I mean, particularly if you it's a if you're successful, but I'm I'm very curious first of all to know what prompted this for you and your group. Well, actually, what prompted this for me is my wife. Um, we um, at the beginning of this crisis, which was probably sometime in February, my wife and I uh, were staying at our home in Northern California. And we're, we, keep, we kept getting these phone calls from our friends and relatives telling us about how things were beginning to get really weird and they're thinking about locking down entire cities. And I, I, I told my wife, well, let's just sit it out. Let's just stay here and wait till it's over. And she kept telling me, you can't do this. You're a lawyer, you have to step in. I said, hey, I'm the only one apparently because there's nobody else out there. Well, eventually in order to understand what's going on, I uh, called my friend, uh, Dr. Wolfgang Wodak. He's one of the most important medical experts in this area. And he explained to me that uh, there is another point of view that there are other opinions out there that do not agree with the panic mongers in uh, Germany. And he pointed me to uh, uh, Professor John Ioannidis, Professor um, 
Michael Levitt of Stanford University, and he also put me in touch with a bunch of German uh, professors, scientists, medical experts. And that's when I realized that the most important thing that is always that needs to be done before anyone makes any decisions uh, had been completely forgotten. And that is the rule of audiatu et altera pars, means um, you have to listen to the other side. In Germany, and apparently in the United States as well, um, only one point of view had been taken note of. And that's the point of view of this, or the, the opinion of a uh, professor of a um, Berlin hospital, Charité Hospital. His name is Professor Drosten. And so I tried to get in touch with other people who had the same kind of level of understanding, who had also looked at other opinions, in particular other lawyers. Couldn't find any. And that's when Wolfgang Wodak told me, get in touch with Viviane Fischer. And she's the one who had the idea of doing what the government should have done, of uh, looking at the other, other side through a uh, panel. And that's when we founded this uh, Corona uh, Committee. So now, how did you start out? You, you, you put this committee together. What was the goal of the committee and how did you start you know, fulfilling that goal? Well, um, because we had only, most, most of the Germans had only listened to the government telling them about the panic theories of this professor at Drosten. Um, and at the same time, I knew that there were other people out there who did not agree with them. Uh, we decided we would ask other leading experts in all the relevant fields in order to determine one, how dangerous how dangerous is the virus really? Two, uh, how accurate is this PCR test? And three, what kind of damage do the measures do, both health-wise and uh, to the economy? And? Well, we started out uh, looking at the, um, at the, um, at how, how dangerous the uh, virus actually is. And very soon it turned out that nobody really knew anybody here in Germany, at least nobody knew anybody who's sick or had died. Same thing in, in the United States when I was still there, I left in uh, late April, um, late May. Uh, we toured the Southwest at that point, um, driving around in, a, in an RV and we spoke to so many people and no one was in any way alarmed. Nobody knew anybody who was sick or had died. We did see all these um, alarming pictures on the news, on the mainstream news media, but um, for some reason it seemed that something was amiss. And then finally, um, from the German side, I heard a bunch of, um, of uh, medical experts who said, well, this is, the mortality of this is on about the same on par with, um, with the uh, seasonal flu. And that's the same conclusion that um, Professor Ioannidis arrived at at Stanford University when he published one of his studies. So the next thing we turn to is uh, what's really going on? How, what is this PCR test really doing? And to make a long story short, uh, the PCR test cannot and must not be used for diagnostic purposes. It the, says it right there on, in their paperwork that attend, yeah. you know, that they put with the uh, with the testing. 
Yeah, it, it on the box it, of the. It says so correctly. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. I mean, it's crazy to me that anybody who receives the test to administer it doesn't see that, and then that they don't. That, and that if they do see it, they don't say, "Oh, well, wait a second. You know, what am I testing for here?" Yeah, yeah, and that's and now we're in a situation where you have um, lots and lots of people supposedly sick, supposedly infected, when in reality, after listening to all these experts, the only thing we have is lots of people who tested positive. But testing positive doesn't mean you're infected. And President Trump and his wife just tested positive, says the news right now. Yeah, we read about that. Um, And of course, I wish him well and his wife too, but I don't think there's anything to worry about because he tested positive. That's it. And, you know, there's a difference between a, um, I just learned this from reading an article by Dr. Mike Yeadon. He's the former chief science officer of Pfizer and also the former uh, vice president of Pfizer. So this, yeah, this, really is, this is a very important uh, source for you, a very important that some the head of Pfizer, for God's sake. Yeah, yeah. what did he I say? I never have expected that. Yeah, yeah that's huge. And what he, did he uh, say? And, and he is, he's very clear about it. Um, let me just read this to you because it's, 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 it's stunning, really. Um, he says that... This test is fatally flawed and must, all capital letters, must immediately be withdrawn and never used again in this setting unless shown that, uh, unless shown to be fixed. And uh, he summarizes his um, article. I have explained how a hopelessly performing diagnostic test has been and continues to be used, not for diagnosis of disease, but it seems solely to create fear. So that's what what it's all about. Um, We have, and and this is not just my opinion or Dr. Yeadon's opinion. We listened to four uh, professors of immunology, uh, three professors of immunology and one doctor of microbiology from um, Ireland, Austria, Germany, and the Netherlands. And they all agree. They all say these PCR tests do not tell you anything about infections. What they do is, with the swap, you get a molecule and, and, and you take a sequence of this molecule, you cannot see it, it's invisible. So what you have to do in order to make it visible is uh, you have to enlarge it and or blow it up. And uh, you do this in cycles. And everybody agrees, including the New York Times, that if you do this, if the amplification goes beyond 35, it's completely useless, completely useless. Now, these tests are set for 45, meaning, of course, it tests positive because, and it, and it has tested positive um, on papayas, on sheep, um, papayas. chicken wings. Yeah. <laughs> so, how did you get from there? to crimes against humanity and what is it, talk about the statute and what it is that you have to prove to make that stick. Well, the we don't really need it to be um, defined as a crime against humanity, but that's what it really is. Um, all we need is a tort. 
A tort can be fraud and or misrepresentation. And that's what we have because the people who invented this, um, in particular, the one I mentioned, um, Mr. Professor Drossen of, um, of um, Charité Hospital in Berlin, they claim that that's the only way and the safest way to determine whether somebody is uh, infected or not. And they, of course, should know better. And it all started out here in Germany because this country apparently was lobbied very massively in uh, May of 2019 because I believe or we believe here in our uh, committee that uh, Germany was to become a sort of a role model for the rest of the world. So because the Germans are so disciplined and look at how the Germans are doing it, uh, just do as they are doing and don't ask any questions. So that's what we believe happened in May of 2019 because that's when the uh, stronger one of the two ruling parties, uh, the government, uh, this is a grand coalition, the CDU, uh, when uh, they had a uh, Congress on global health. Now you would expect all the important people uh, who are members of this party- When did they be, have this Congress on global health? Uh, that was in May of 2019. So this is more than a year ago. So it's, and, it's right before this whole- Yes. Yeah, and it's the, so interesting because we had all kinds of we had things like that too over here. Yeah, yeah but you know, you would ex you would expect a bunch of doctors and of course all the CDU representatives to be there, but you would not expect everyone to be there who eventually determined that we would have a pandemic. Mr. Drosden was there. We had the uh, what's his background, by the way. You keep mentioning him, and I keep thinking I want to know where this guy comes from. Vic, I suppose you could call him the German national virologist, and uh, he is he is a virologist, and his specialty is PCR tests. He's been around for a while. Uh, he's been publishing papers, uh, lots and lots of papers. Weirdly enough, mostly co-authored by at least one of the now prominent PCR makers. And um, he was also around some 12 years ago when we had the swine flu. Now, I had forgotten all about the swine flu, but the swine flu was the first pandemic to be declared by the World Health Organization. Uh, because, and they did this because they had just changed the definition of what a, de what a pandemic is. Up until then, a pandemic was a they changed it in 2008 or 9 for reasons we still don't know um, why they did it, uh, so that it's just a worldwide disease. No serious illnesses needed Wait, anymore. No deaths stop needed. right there. Yeah. That just blew my mind. So a pandemic is no longer a disease that is worldwide and kills people. It's just a worldwide disease. So every flu season, there's a pandemic around the world by that definition. That's exactly it, yes. That's what made it so oh easy. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Okay. That is, that is strange. And, but you know, you asked me about his background. So this is in 2008 or nine, uh, the World Health Organization declared a pandemic because of the swine flu. And uh, even then, he was one of the one of the people who 
was who is trying to spread panic so that uh, people would understand that a vaccine is needed. Now, and they and a lot of money was spent not just by Germany but everywhere in the world on these vaccines. Finally, a vaccine was um, was developed and it was being used. And then it turned out that th this dangerous uh, uh, swine flu was just like the like a mild um, seasonal flu wave. That's all. But in the meantime, uh, a lot of people had been vaccinated. And in the meantime, 700 children in Europe had um, uh, are now um, uh, seriously uh, sick um, with narcolepsy. But that, is that vac um, their vaccine injured? Is that what you're saying yes, from this from the swine flu vaccination? Yeah, that's what happened. And it was only thanks to my friend Dr. Wolfgang Vodak that things didn't get any worse because he uncovered this. He was back then in a position of power. Uh, he was a member of the German parliament and also of the European Council. So, and he's a doctor and he stopped it uh, be before it could get any worse. So he was right back then and Mr. Drossen was completely wrong back then. And all of a sudden in 2020, after the meeting I just des described to you in, in May of 2019, where he, he was um, the uh, leader of the German equivalent of the American CDC, which is RKI, Mr. Wheeler was there and Tedros of the World Health Organization was there, plus the, the uh, chief lobbyist of the two most important um, uh, health funds, the, two, the world's two most important health funds, the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates uh, Foundation and the Wellcome Trust were there. And all of a sudden, fast forward to June, or uh, rather um, uh, January, February, March of 2020, those are the very same people who declared that there's a pandemic and we would have to take all these measures like uh, social distancing, wearing masks, et cetera, et cetera. You know, are you starting to see the parallels in all the major countries, the same people who were involved in previous pandemic warnings and this and that, the same people who were part of exercises or simulations before uh, declaring pandemic, these are the same people now who are, who have, are in charge of this, you know, in charge, who are pushing and at the forefront of managing this pandemic or alleged pandemic, let's say now, because as, as you say, you know, the testing doesn't show any such thing and neither do the numbers. And, you know, we can get into all the fake counting and so on and so forth. And the money that is made uh, by those who use this fraudulent uh, means of um, declaring, you know, people to, to be infected with COVID or to have died, even the death numbers are inflated by, um, I mean, I, I talked about that in my last show with those two other lawyers. So my question, I mean, this, this is a, an international pattern, it looks like, and there's some, I want you to talk about the perpetrators that you guys are starting to identify. Yeah. Anywhere in the world that you can identify, I, you know. Well, it's basically, in, from what we learned 
through listening to all these experts uh, in our Corona committee, uh, it boils down to three people. It boils down to Mr. Drosten because he is the one who invented this PCR test and he's the one who first claimed that this P, I mean, he didn't invent it, it was invented by Kerry Mullis. Yes. But he invented it for the purpose of uh, detecting infections. He's the one who kept claiming and still does that uh, uh, through these PCR tests, you can see how many people are infected. Then it's the um, head of the German RKI, which is um, the equivalent of the, C of the CDC, Professor Wheeler. He's a veterinarian. And then, of course, it's Tedros, because this is how- of the World how, Health Organization. Of the World Health Organization, yes. And it appears, I, I, I'm always careful not to draw, draw conclusions too quickly, but it seems quite obvious that this, PCR pandemic um, was invented um, in order to enable the pharmaceutical industry and the tech industry to make lots of money by selling these tests, by selling vaccines, and of course, by harvesting our uh, genome. Um, it was, it was the, but, but the original idea came from Mr. Drosten um, and his invention, the invention that um, PCR tests can identify um, infections was then proclaimed by the World Health Organization. It started in Germany and the World Health Organization then um, decided that this is the best way to detect infections in order to protect from the pandemic. And that's why his test was the first to be sold uh, worldwide. Everybody else kind of copied him, but he's the one who started it. Um, and the World Health Organization is the one that decided that this is worldwide the best way to go about it. Now, what about the, the two foundations that you mentioned? What's their role? We don't know. Um, we, haven't list, we haven't heard any of their um, testimony. Um, it's, we, we can, of course, draw conclusions, but we don't know. We know that they're, uh, they're investing lots and lots of money um, in both the pharmaceutical industry and uh, the tech industry, but we don't know. That's why the we development of vaccines and I guess tracking, tracking devices. Yeah. You know, saying, oh, we have to track infected people and who they're. Yeah. I mean, um, God, this is this is so disturbing. So, um, what are you? Where are you right now in your process? Because it also seems to me, by the way, um, that there's some important thing. You are also licensed uh, to um, licensed in California as a lawyer, mm -hmm. which is important because part of you, you need that because the case you need discovery, which you don't have in Germany. Could you talk about that a little bit before we get into some other stuff that I want? Yeah, the most important thing is to find out what really happened. That's what a court of law has to do. That's actually the most important work that a lawyer can do. Uh, it's not the application of the legal rules. It's always finding out first what happened. And that you can only do through um, uh, with the help of the law of evidence. And uh, what most European countries don't, don't have is what the um, Anglo-American legal system has and that is the tool of pretrial discovery. Through pretrial discovery, you can 
um, you can get to all the all the relevant information. Now we have kind of done this through this uh, through the work of this uh, Corona committee, but it has to be done in a legal manner, and that's why we need and that's why we think that the Anglo-American legal system, in particular the, the United States and Canada, are probably probably the best pre- uh, place to uh, file such a complaint and then ask the the court the law uh, i'm sorry the uh, judge to allow this to be tried as a class action suit so basically are you going to gather evidence from around the world from witnesses and experts around the world and you're going to put all that into a class action lawsuit that you will file in california and someplace in canada is that yeah any one of these places comes into play we're going to have to decide which what the best place for this complaint is but what we cannot do is file a complaint against a german company uh, um, uh, on behalf of a german client that's not possible but what we can do is we can get an american company or an american individual who was harmed through these lockdowns because all of the lockdowns are based on the results of the PCR tests. So what we can do is we can get an American corporation to sue these, to sue these Germans, Drosten and Wheeler, plus the World Health Organization, because they played a very decisive role in this, uh, sue them for damages, and then ask the court to allow this to be uh, uh, tried as a class action lawsuit so that everybody else who was harmed in this very same manner by these PCR-based lockdowns can join the class. And that's what we're talking to every, once a week we have Zoom conferences with all 27 members of the uh, European unions. And now there's a lot of lawyers there who joined us. Uh, plus with many, many other countries in the world. And we're all trying to concentrate on this, in my view, decisive issue, attack the PCR tests and the makers of the PCR tests who claimed that they would be uh, able to detect infections. So you're not going to um, also go after those who implemented these draconian measures that led to economic disasters and and deaths uh, for um, not for making a, a, a rash decision that was not based on on any uh, real facts. I mean, is there no do they are they not to be held accountable as well? Yes, they should be, but um, we think it's easier to go after those people who are out there in the open, who uh, gave the wrong advice based on, um, well, They're, false testimony. Well, also, and, and from which they they benefited. Oh, yeah, they also benefited from this. But we do know and we do hope that uh, this, of course, will also have the results of the, of the um, uh, fact-finding process will have very serious side effects for the politicians who are, who are in charge and who are responsible. Because, of course, when it turns out that they've been listening to the advice of crooks and charlatans, uh, they're going to have to ask themselves, why did we not listen to the other side? Why did we, uh, why did we not adhere to this well, common knowledge 
uh, Audi Autor at Ultra Pars. Let me ask you something. These uh, companies, okay, that, that make the testing, do they have subsidiaries in the United States and Canada? I don't know. They may or they may not, but we know one thing. Because of the advice of the World Health Organization to first use this Dresden test, which everything, if all the other best uh, tests are based on, more or less, all the copycats basically did the same thing. Because of that, his test was sold both in the United States and in Canada. And that's why we think that we have jurisdiction there. Well, I was going to say, um, I, you know, I know a lot of whistleblower lawyers, and I had a discussion once with one who said um, a lot of these uh, European companies that were engaged in, in criminal activities that, that um, you know, their clients blew the whistle on, uh, they couldn't touch them at the home office, but they were able to prosecute those companies through their subsidiaries in the United States. That's why I'm asking you that question, because mm -hmm. I'll, I'll tell you something else that when, when I saw your story and I saw you mention certain players and then I've seen the same story with the similar players um, and some of the same players, it's playing out here in the United States. I'm starting to think that there's a gigantic RICO case here because, I mean, it's all about First of all, it's all about making the money on the vaccines and the tests. And, you know, these companies are developing all kinds of vaccines as, as we speak. And, you know, the Gates Foundation has a terrible reputation for testing very dangerous vaccines on, on brown people in countries like Africa and India and really injuring a lot of people, and yeah. um, if not killing and uh, so here we have the same players. And then, and then, Reiner, there's this other aspect that's even more nefarious, or I should say as nefarious. Um, well, not, not just the selling of the vaccines and stuff, but now you want to control what people put in their bloodstream. You want to you mm -hmm. dictate that. Now, all of a sudden... Um, you've also got this whole surveillance, massive global surveillance effort ramping up on the back of this so-called pandemic. So, I mean, when you said you were doing this human rights and, and you mentioned in your, um, you sent me uh, your, your speech that you gave yesterday, I believe, and it's going to be a video. It's going to be a video and it's going to be uploaded. It's, it's being uploaded right now to my okay. YouTube. Mm -hmm. Well, you're going to, it's, it's on your YouTube channel, right? Yeah. So, but you mentioned this human rights statute. Mm -hmm. Could you talk about that? Because to me, this is a mind blowingly big, this, this is a case that can, that has so many aspects to it that mm -hmm. affect literally every human being on this planet. Yes. The deeper yes, you go, the bigger it gets. Yeah, this is probably going to turn into the, into, into a huge tort case. I mean, it is a huge tort case already, but it is also 
a violation of uh, Section 7 of the International Criminal Code. And that's what you're asking about, because what I'm saying, the, the, the um, expression, um, This, this, this goes back to right after World War II. Right after World War II, the Nuremberg trials were conducted in the town of Nuremberg in Germany. And that's when everybody went after the main war criminals of World War II. And that's when the term of crimes against humanity was invented because many of the perpetrators of these really, really horrendous war crimes um, resorted to one defense and said, well, I was just following orders. And that's when the, uh, when the um, uh, tribunal decided to come up with this uh, crime against humanity definition, which means that even if you are being ordered to do something, you have to think about what you're doing. If somebody tells you to kill a child just because it's there, then you, you can't just do this. So that's when it all started. And if you look at what happened now, you're saying this is a worldwide kind of thing. It's affecting, it's affecting everyone. Yes, it is. Um, and for example, in, in the Philippines, the net result of these PCR tests is that people who do not adhere to the strict uh, mask wearing measures or who do not social distance or who violate in some way whatever uh, other orders were invented as a result of this. The net result is that people get shot. They get shot in the head and killed. Yeah. Um, you may have seen the Australian videos of people who, according to what the authorities believe, uh, did not wear the mask correctly. They were handcuffed, being thrown into jail. Uh, but it, it's not gotten that bad in Germany yet. But we have to do something now so it doesn't get to that point. That's why I'm saying we're talking about crimes against humanity. I mean, all of us know people. I don't know anyone who got sick or anyone who got who who, who got who, who died. But all of us know people who suffer. All of these yes. small and yes. medium-sized businesses yes. that are going bankrupt right now. Um, all of the people who didn't get medical treatment because the hospitals were more or less shut down because everybody was waiting for. Uh, COVID uh, uh, yes. Yes. never appeared, not here in Germany. Um, so, and also think about all these people who, the older people who were dying, who were forced to die alone without their loved ones being able to accompany them in their last minutes. Uh, so this, I'm, I'm not going to go into, in, into any more details because it's bad enough, but that's why I'm saying, and we're all in agreement all of the law professors who advise us, we're all in agreement. These are crimes against humanity. Well, let me ask you something. Since you're up against huge players, huge, very well endowed in terms of resources and so on, do you trust the justice system here and around the world to actually handle this? Well, from my experience and my colleagues' experience in my firm, after 26 years of uh, going after the really bad players like Deutsche Bank, VW, or the world's largest shipping company, Kühne & Nagel, um, it appears that the German legal system is probably not capable of handling this. But I do trust the Anglo-American system. 
Well, I may be wrong. I may be wrong because it's different now because there's so many people in, uh, affected by this, including judges. Actually, there's one German judge who just came forward and publicly declared that um, it was it was sad that all the judges, the entire judiciary, also because of the mass panic, uh, they panicked and they were not able to deliver justice anymore. That's what he said. Um, wow. He does believe, however, and he says this in public, his name is Thorsten Schleip, um, but he does believe, he, he's optimistic, he says, well, I think we're now realizing that we do have these re responsibilities and the, that we do have to protect our constitution, our constitutional rights, because that's what Germany is made up of, the German constitution with its basic rights. So I may be too pessimistic as far as Germany is concerned, but I'm absolutely certain and I'm absolutely optimistic that this thing will be solved in the courts of law, in particular um, in the United States and Canada because of this special tool of uh, class actions. But this will, this will go on in most of the other countries in this world as well, because we're, we have all the evidence right here and we're helping all the colleagues who we talk to free of charge and they're getting everything we have, all the information we have. We put them in touch with the experts. Uh, we send them the, their expert opinions, the written expert opinions. So whatever is needed to bring these people to justice will be done. And I do think that all the money in the world is not enough for the other side to stop us. You really think that Bill Gates is gonna be dragged into court? I don't know if he will, uh, but I do think that uh, people will think about whether or not they should trust him and his ideas. But I do know that those people who stuck their heads out too far, like Drosten, Wheeler, and uh, Tedros, who I believe are the fall guys for the ones who are pulling, really pulling the strings, I do believe that they will be brought to justice. And that will damage all Reiner, of them. Why don't we ever get to the people who are pulling the strings? Because they're the ones who need to be held accountable so they, they don't pull those kinds of strings. That may, that may happen. I cannot, I cannot go ahead and sue them for anything right now because I don't have enough evidence. But that, that may very well happen if through the, um, through, um, the instrument of uh, pretrial discovery, we get to the point that all of a sudden we have evidence that points to them. We do have evidence right now, but it's not strong enough, I don't think. So let's talk about the role of the press <laughs> in all this. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of Udo Ulfcott. I wish he were, yeah. <laughs> I wish he were around, uh, but he's not. So let, let's talk about the role of the press in, in Germany as well as the United States. What have you noticed and how much accountability should fall on their shoulders? Um, as far as the uh, mainstream press is concerned, they did a terrible job. They were just uh, being brought into line by the governments of the world, in particular in Germany. And the only way you can get to, uh, you still can get to um, uh, actual information is by looking for it on the internet, alternative media. Um, and we do believe that this is because those who are behind the scenes who are pulling the strings, you mentioned Bill Gates, uh, that they invested in most of the major media companies in the world. 
that has something to do it with it. However, um, there is more. There are more and more people from the mainstream media who are also realizing that something is wrong, and uh, that's why we managed to get into the mainstream media just this last week. Um, a, a huge article was published on our work, and um, where the, the, where uh, the it's the German it's the German uh, weekly called Die Zeit, which means the Times. Okay. Um, and there was an interview. That's a breakthrough. With, That's a breakthrough. Yeah, it is. Um, but you're right. Uh, it's a terrible situation. And uh, it was described in detail by a good friend of mine who is a very well-known professor of law, civil law here in Germany. His name is Professor Martin Schwab. He's the one who really delved into the matter. He knows more about uh, the details of this pandemic, both as far as the health um, uh, aspect is concerned and the legal aspects are concerned. Um, and he came to the conclusion, and he's writing this in a 180-page expert opinion, legal expert opinion, he came to the conclusion that the mainstream media did a terrible job and acted in, a, in an extremely undemocratic way. They didn't do what they're supposed to do, but they, what they did is, in fact, they covered things up. Well, I can tell you from firsthand experience, uh, being a whistleblower in mainstream media and having blown up my career as a result, you know, that, it, you know, you make more money than, than a lot of people, particularly in television where I was. And uh, if you don't want to give up that money, you're just going to listen to whatever that official source tells you. And that's what you're, and of course, a seven-year-old can put a microphone or a camera in, in somebody's face and ask a question and then just, you know, that's it. And that's what, mm -hmm. you know, that's what's been going on forever in a day, you know. But um, we do have some amazing, amazing independent reporting going on right now. And I, I want to talk about uh, one reporter in particular. Her name is Whitney Webb. Um, I had sent to you an article. She's really putting this whole thing <clears throat> in historic context. She's the one who's taking the long view, you know, looking back all the way from the anthrax attacks of 2001 that, you know, were, first of all, uh, before 2001 being, they, they were connected uh, by various official spokespeople to the 9-11, uh, to the 9-11 thing. They were saying, oh yes, uh, additionally, Al-Qaeda and Iraq, you know, they perpetrated this anthrax thing. And, you know, lots of official sources, top government people coming out and implying that Iraq was involved. Again, trying to get, get to Iraq. And there's a group called the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry that has been uh, filing petitions for grand jury hearings uh, on government crimes connected to 9-11. And, and they're putting out one on anthrax, with, which I think you'd be very interested in seeing because that's, you know, the swine flu, this anthrax thing, you know. And now, you know, we have COVID. And now there's a lot of press here in the United States and a lot of comments being made like Bill Gates saying, well, pandemic one wasn't so bad, but pandemic two is going to be terrible. And all of a sudden you start thinking, oh my God, is this just like World Trade Center one 
which was one, a bomb in the basement and then world center Two, trade center Two. that was like all these different attacks. You know, it's, it's, they, Whitney has pointed out a, a very compelling, um, put out, laid out a very compelling case for a pattern of how these things happen. You have a lesser event like this one. And now they're talking about, oh, the next one, you know, now people are inspired by everything that happened with COVID and the power that was, you know, the, the devastation, economic devastation and the deaths and so on. They're going to be these, these terrorists and, and they're building it up for these are going to be white supremacists allied with, guess who, because we want to go after them, Iranians, okay, and Al-Qaeda, okay. They're putting this out right now, these official sources. And they're talking about, um, oh, like, you know, remember the smallpox? Uh, mm -hmm. it, it could be smallpox or it could be anthrax or it could be genetically engineered smallpox and anthrax. Uh, with COVID in it. I mean, you're seeing this. It's it's being ramped up. Are you seeing that in Germany? Well, it seems to us here in this Corona committee that um, the only thing you need to do is follow the money. It's always the same pattern. It's always the same story. And I've been in this business as a lawyer. I've been in this business for 26 years. I've been, I've been suing, by the way, my former employer, Deutsche Bank. I used to work for Deutsche Bank in Tokyo. Um, and I, I worked there in the, in the early 1990s, which is when Deutsche Bank was still a well-respected bank. But that's when things began to turn bad. And I didn't work there as a, as a lawyer, but I worked there uh, in their um, uh, private customers department. And, uh, but there was one incident when they asked me to drop some contracts. I'm not gonna tell you the details of these contracts, but it, it was illegal. It was illegal because they asked me to deceive the um, French authorities and um, asked me to make it possible for the French banks, which were there in, in Tokyo, to assign, the, the, assign hundreds and hundreds of loan contracts to Deutsche Bank while they were being investigated, the French banks, by their own authorities. So that it looked as though they had fewer loans in their, on their books than they really did. The advantage for Deutsche Bank was that we collected the interest during this period of uh, three months or so. So that's when it all started. And that's when I decided I'm going to leave this place because I'm not going to be part of this. Um, but it's the same thing happened over and over again. Deutsche Bank, VW, Kuna, Naga, Wirecard is the latest example. Um, and it turns out that the disease is they have too much power. The big corporations yeah, but have... They have they have too much power because they're never held accountable. And that's yes. why when you were saying to me, I said, mm -hmm. well, you know, do you, can you imagine Bill Gates going to jail or whatever? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's the one who has put all his money into these vaccine trials that have killed people and it's been covered up. I mean, in Africa, India sued the Bill Gates mm -hmm. Foundation. Nothing happened. You know, the, yeah. and, you know, there's, I mean, Nothing seems to happen at the top of the food chain. And because of that, ever 
bigger operations are imposed upon the world for ever more control. I mean, right now, let's think about this for a minute, Reiner. They want to control our bloodstream. They want to control our movements. They want to be able to surveil us six ways to Sunday. In Whitney's article, she's talking about how basically they're saying pandemics, first of all, they changed, they, they, they changed the definition of a pandemic right. to, to make it even easier to gain this control. That should be attacked in court, I think, this new definition yeah. of pandemic. Yeah. But yeah, that'll be one of the things we're going to be talking about. I'm not saying we're not going to get the ones who are behind, who are, who are pulling the strings behind the scenes. I'm just saying that it's more practicable to go after those well, guys yeah, you have to go up the in the open. But they're going to take us there. They're going to take us there. It's going to take a while, but uh, that's, that's, if you follow the money, that's where it is. Right. Well, I guess, I guess what kind of frightens me is... At, as Whitney was pointing out, a lot of these, um, a lot of this press that's coming out now is either quoting or their opinion pieces mm. by intelligence operators, by people who are connected to intelligence, by people who are connected to a high, who had high government uh, positions. These are all the people, the same interested parties that, by the way, in the 2001 anthrax, uh, 2001 anthrax case, um, you know you're gonna you're gonna see some shocking stuff, I believe, from that petition from these from these uh, lawyers because, you know, everybody knows that that lone wolf scenario with Bruce Ivins uh, was completely completely made up, mm -hmm. and um, the the FBI, I mean you have all these, the FBI completely uh, engineered that upon whose orders we don't know, but you have all these, these very powerful government agencies, particularly the ones that are armed, okay, particularly the ones that are part of law enforcement and surveillance, I'm talking DIA, NSA, CIA, FBI, la la la, they all at a certain level above the pay grades of the people who are actually doing the work, they all pull the strings and they've never been able, nobody has ever been able to hold them accountable. I mean, here, this committee is how many years later trying to hold them accountable for anthrax? Swine flu, who was held accountable for what happened with swine flu? You know? That's right, yeah. You know? So, so, I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled that this is happening as the, quote, pandemic is still in play. But now they're moving the target, Reiner. They're moving the target faster than you can get to the courts for this, this other thing mm -hmm. that happened already. I do. I still think, you know, I spent too much time in the United States, so, so I'm still optimistic. Um, Part of my family is American. Um, I'm still optimistic. And I think this thing, will, this time they've gone too far. And this time things will change because of what we're doing, because of so many people getting together and not agreeing with the official line, understanding that there are things that are going completely wrong. 
And I do believe that in the end, the courts will solve this problem. And then we'll, then we'll start uh, to think about, uh, what do they call it? The big uh, reset or something, but it's gonna be a completely different reset. It's gonna be a reset that looks at what the people want, not at what big money wants. What they're envisioning. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the big reset for them is, is, a, is, from what I can see, enslavement of the, of the global yeah. And eradication, by the way, eradication of, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really haunted by what William Patrick, uh, he was the father of the aerosolized, the bioweaponized, the weaponized anthrax. He was the developer mm. of that, uh, you know, working for the American government. And he said, listen, I could make a case uh, for bio warfare being far more desirable than actual, you know, warfare with guns. He said, because with bio warfare, you can target, you can target your victims and it's a, it's a crime that does not destroy infrastructure. Okay. So you still have infrastructure to deal with it. So what really frightened me about that and what, what, um, uh, Whitney Webb sort of alluded to, if not mentioned, I can't recall exactly, was how, you know, they're, they're using these, they're genetically engineering these viruses to target certain groups of the population. And it's very interesting to see how coronavirus, you know, who are the ones who are the most, uh, you know, vulnerable, it's the old people, the old people, you know. And I just, the whole thing is terrifying because you can't see it. And yet ever since Anthrax 2001, they used Anthrax 2001 to allow the bioweapons and, and vaccine uh, industry, the military, which now has become part of the military industrial complex, to actually, they call it medical military industrial complex, just burgeon out of control, you know, you know, mm -hmm. I, again, fear. Yeah, fear. fear is always the best weapon uh, of all. Uh, it's the only way in this particular case, at least it was the only way how you could get all these people to seemingly agree to all these measures. Had it not been for the fear that they instilled, not for the panic that they wanted people to get, people would have not done what they were asked to do. Um, and that's what we have to get rid of. Um, when Robert Kennedy was, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was in Berlin a couple of weeks ago on, on August 29th, there was the largest demonstration ever uh, held in Berlin, the largest demonstration ever in Germany. And he was talking about vaccines, right? He was talking about vaccines, but he was also talking about how uh, through other technical and medical measures, uh, certain groups of people were trying to gain control over everyone in the world. Uh, but he was basically talking about vaccines in the context of Corona. Um, he gave a speech and I gave a speech and a member of the Green Party who was a whistleblower um, told us, he gave a speech and he told us how uh, he was basically, he was actually the one who told us that there was only one person 
who the government listened to. And that's this a totally discredited man by the name of Drusten, discredited because of his false prophecies uh, from uh, 2009 during the uh, uh, swine flu. But um, we all of us agreed that fear is something that we need to get over. And he reminded us of, um, uh, was it Franklin Delano? Uh, well, yeah. I think Franklin Roosevelt, right? He said that the only thing to fear is fear itself. And it is true. And once you realize that and use your head and start thinking, then you get to the bottom of things. And that's what we're doing. And that's why I think things will change for the better. So are you guys contacting lawyers all over the world yes. to form like a, in each country, a consortium, an investigative consortium like like that's, that's the goal of our Corona committee, but uh, Robert F. Kennedy is helping us. He's an okay. ally. Mm -hmm. so, so is it okay to ask, like, how many countries do you have on board? How many countries do you have groups of lawyers working on this? Actually, I'm not sure, but it must be over 50 in the meantime. 50 yeah. nations? Yes. Mm -hmm. Because we're talking once a week, we have Zoom conferences with all now with all the lawyers as well. It used to be only the uh, uh, scientists and medical experts, but now it's the lawyers as well. And uh, I think it's it's got to be way more than fifty. This is huge. Yeah, it is, and it's going to get bigger. This is much bigger than I I even thought. <laughs> Oh, because do you worry for your personal safety? No, I don't. I'm not afraid. <laughs> I've been, you know, I've been doing this for way too long. And uh, I've, we've been, my ex-wife got threats um, of all kinds, of all sorts. And I just, I always said, if the truth is out in, in the open, uh, if, the, uh, if the toothpaste is out of the, uh, what do you call it? The toothpaste. Yeah, yeah, out of the tube, right? You can't, you can't put it back in. So I feel safe. I feel absolutely safe. Well, listen, I uh, will be following all of you very closely. I want to stay in touch. I want you to come back <clears throat> as often as you want to talk about uh, important, uh, important developments because I, I think that uh, what you're doing is is probably one of the most important things for anybody to do right now so well, thank you very much and thank you for having me on your show i'd love to come back my pleasure thanks for coming <laughs> take care christina all right bye-bye